Welcome, everybody, to the Sedge of Mind podcast, where my guest today is the noted master of dream yoga, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche. Our conversation begins with what Rinpoche has elected to teach so extensively on this topic, which is really rarely emphasized by Tibetan lamas in the West. Why should busy Westerners bother with dream yoga? What does it have to offer us? And what does it mean to actually accomplish this practice? Rinpoche then talks about how his teaching of dream yoga has changed over the many years before elaborating on all the new content in the second edition of his marvelous classic book, The Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. Our discussion then turns to how dream yoga develops flexibility and identity and why this is so important before we transition into the difference between adapting a teaching versus editing it to suit our egoic needs. If teachings aren't culturally translated and adapted, they can go extinct. But if you adapt them too much, the teachings are diluted. How does one then establish dream guardians and create a protection circle for dreaming? Do we really need to believe in spirits? And what are the consequences if we don't? How can you tell if a dream figure is just a projection of your own mind or a real entity? Rinpoche then discusses the role of the subtle body and the importance of the central channel before turning to how the subtle body shapes our dreams. How can we work with the subtle body during the day to facilitate lucidity at night? And what's the best thing to do just before falling asleep? Can we use the subtle body to incubate dreams? Dream yoga and the subtle body break all the rules, as he puts it, and helps us live outside the box of the gross body and our exclusive identification with it. Rinpoche exhorts us not to limit ourselves to the outer body, which does grow old, get sick and then dies, and instead transition our identity to a deeper aspect of our being that does not. See for yourself why Rinpoche is the premier voice in the world of dream yoga today. Welcome everybody to this Edge of Mind podcast where I am incredibly excited about having an opportunity to talk to one of my teachers, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, about one of my favorite topics, um, dream yoga. And so as usual, I'll do the briefest of introductions, and then we're just going to launch right in and talk about his marvelous second edition of the classic book, The Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. So Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, a lama in the Bund tradition of Tibet, is the founder and director of Ling Mingcha International, an organization dedicated to the study and practice of the teachings of the Bund tradition. He received training from both Buddhist and Bun teachers attained the degree of Geshe and has taught widely in the United States and Europe since 1991. Rinpoche is also the author of many, many books, uh, most of which I've actually read. And so again, Rinpoche, it's such an honor and delight to spend some time with you talking about this wonderful topic. Um, so let's jump right in. I, I'm, um, first of all, quite interested in why you have elected to focus on um, dream yoga over the years, because as you know, it's relatively unusual, relatively rare for a Tibetan Lama to emphasize dream yoga um, and sleep yoga to the extent that you do. So I'm very curious, what is it that inspired you to emphasize these nocturnal meditations? Yeah, first, thank you, Andrew, for um, hosting this, and I'm very honored Happy to be here. Wonderful to see you. you. Um, so to answer your question, I think probably there was kind of two reasons. One from my side, one from the audience side. So my personal side is that I uh, grow up with the tradition that, you know, my mother that who, who will be always uh, guiding us through her dream uh, living her through her dreams, 
a lot of fantastic stories that she would have. And my also the teacher that I grew up with, not Nyonjurubachet, but who was like a more day-to-day teacher who basically feed me, taught me how to wear the ropes and everything. He was also very much, very much always talking about his dreams. So as growing up in the monastery, uh, the part of our training was also learn about the dream yoga practice, like from Maji, um, from Mother Tantra. And uh, yeah, so being part of grow up with that and then and then more as grow, growing up, I realized more and more, of course, it's so important thing, you know, like one thing is that one, one third of our life we sleep. And then if we have no clue about how that time has been spent or even un, un, unwantingly spent in a wrong way, it's such a loss, a precious time in life. And so there's kind of all this hidden a time in our life for years and years many times they are not used well. So uh, so that fit that feeling of, okay, that's really important. And then on the other side, coming to the West, you know, we all have coming from very strong, complex, rigid traditions. Sometimes when we're trying to teach in the same way to everybody and we think that's the only way, that's the best way, if you don't get it, then you're dumb and you're not even proper vessel for Dharma or something like that. Very, arrogant attitude coming with that and slowly, slowly realize that people, everybody has, not everybody wanted to achieve a rainbow body or Buddhahood or in in many times you see just people are just dealing with their sufferings, you know, they, whatever means to able to overcome their suffering a little bit, a little bit more joy, a little bit more inspiration, a little bit more hope, hope in life is good enough to start with for many people. So, so, and then that you need a common ground, common topic to do that. And it seems like a dream, who, do, who does not dream? Right. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And, and, and I mean, really it wouldn't be much of a stretch to argue that the Buddha, whose name literally means the awakened one, was really the ultimate lucid dreamer, was he not? And, and yeah. the entire tradition is held and the embrace of the narrative of waking up. And so along these lines, Rinpoche, I'm, I'm curious maybe to elaborate a little further on this. Many people in, in, the, in the Western world are, are so busy and they, they treasure their sleep. It's like, oh, you know, you can bother me during the day, but don't bother me at night. Why should a, a, a Westerner, or actually anybody, be interested in, in dream yoga? Why bother? So first of all, uh, I think uh, in generally in the world, particularly industrialized culture, the web culture, you know, the online internet and the the electricity, the light is always illuminated, and you know, so major cities people having very very difficult time to sleep and have very little sleep, not good quality sleep. I mean, big problem with the sleep deprivation. So I think, uh, so first, I think really trying to recognize how important it is to, to sleep for, for our well-being, our well-being of our body, our well-being of our mind, our spiritual development. So just to sleep, sacred sleep, recognizing it's important. And then not only sleep, but what happens in sleep is the dream 
there's a lot of activity happens in our at night that sometimes they say some part of our brain is more active than even during the waking state. So when they are, when these activities are happening, these activities are not having no consequences. Some of them are having good consequences. Some of them are having bad consequences, very often negative consequences because of we do not know how to accommodate, how to look at it, how to process it, how to transform it, how to you know utilize it. So, so I think in some sense, um, some sense it's kind of this precious hidden moment that there is in every individual have this opportunity to growth and discovery. And um, and then the sleep in night is the way we stop our, stop our calendar, right? So nobody says until every morning, moment you wake up, you have already have, okay, seven in the morning, I wake up 7.30, I already have this plan, eight, nine, 10, and so go on until bedtime. And until when the bedtime comes, you have no schedule. So that is the time where you have no schedule. So you can, you, you're free. Rich people, poor people, dumb people, smart people, awakened people, everybody goes to sleep in the same way. So you have this opportunity to really utilize something for greater healing and discovery. Yeah, well, and well, isn't, isn't it true that, Rinpoche, that when we're working with the nocturnal mind, we're, we're working with unconscious dimensions. We're working with like the roots of our experience, Right. And so yeah. isn't it true to say that when we work with these roots, then the leaves and the branches and everything above are transformed. So because it's more foundational in a certain way, it's more transformative. Is that a fair thing to say? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And what, let me let me turn now to to your marvelous new um, second edition of the book. I was so delighted to read this book um, because I've studied the first edition so many times. And there's so much new material in this book. It's so rich with wonderful insights. And so I'm I'm very curious. Well, well, actually, let me say one last thing. One aspect of the book that I greatly appreciated was how much time and trouble you took to situate dream yoga. When you talk about the necessity of proper contents, uh, context, the the way that this is prepped just ideas on karma and all that. And so um, along those lines, I'm very interested, uh, since you are one of the rare teachers of this wonderful practice, how has your thinking and teaching evolved over the decades of actually working with this? How has it really changed and evolved? Yeah, I think um, it's a kind of complex, I, I guess, you know, like I saw... Um, the dream fundamental idea of dream yoga practice, even the image of dream uh, has some sense of very deeper meaning that in an, in a, in a, let's say in Burn Buddhism, the tantric traditions, a much more deeper meaning, I think in, in my point of view, than typical Western approach of the dream, dream practice. And uh, it's not about, um, some neurosis only. It's not about fixing some problem. It's not about only analyzing these dreams. It's not about making some too so much inherent meaning out of dreams. 
it is more like a dissolving the delusion and illusion and projection and a dream like reality to understand the truth in in general and particularly truth of oneself self realization that is the ultimate purpose of it and then of course when you say self realization it's it's just for many people for psychologists and then it means totally different than what aim to mean it self realization means realizing you are no one rather than you are realizing you are someone and whatever that society a particular given moment want you to be be that recognize that's who you are that's not the self realization that self has been changing throughout the centuries that has self self has been changing since we were born from college i'm 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 a kindergartner i'm a high schooler i'm a college i'm a professional i am retired i am miserable going through a middle age crisis i am dying i'm getting old now these all i are not who you are so is the deep sense of self realization that's the purpose i think and so in the west sometime to come from that particular angle and trying to push to that direction i think is a difficult difficult approach so over the time i'm i'm trying to have a little bit i felt at least in my own inner process a little bit more kinder a little bit more softer a little bit more accommodating a little bit more understanding whatever the, the the weakness and whatever the needs are there so i trying to bring really more trying to became a little bit more simpler approach of everyday practice rather than pushing the deep meaning of it you know and then whenever there's opportunity to open up that meaning you open up that meaning but most people they don't it's not what they were looking for yeah yeah and it's almost tongue in cheek it's 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 almost we could say really that self realization at this level is the realization that there is no self yeah um, and also even even like a teaching zokche i i sometimes i joke i said i i started with trying to introduce people who they are i end up with uh, t- telling them who they are not yeah beautiful yeah, yeah. so basically really, most of the time they people are suffering so much because of too much identifying with who they are not and so talking about who they are not it makes more sense to them because they can experience that oh i've been saying all my this last couple of years suffering has to do with my being husband or last couple of years some my suffering has to do with my being father or mother or or last 10 20 years of my suffering has to do with a professional identity they understand that very well so if you introduce from that angle i think it's a better trying to instead of just saying you're not that you're not that you're not that you know you're no one and that's depressing for people whenever you say you're no one that's very very hard at least at first it really playfully I, one of the things i very much appreciated in the book rimpache was your your emphasis the time you spent on um dream yoga as a kind of mental inner yoga to develop a, a flexibility of identity i thought that was a key contribution of the book exactly what you're saying here so maybe talk to us just a little bit more about that type of inner yoga mental yoga where we're developing an enhanced flexibility of identity that helps us operate very practically in the world yeah so for example you know like um uh, starting with very simple things like um 
we all have like issues with the sleep. I think most of the people have, and and uh, and as particularly when you get older, you definitely have issues with. The, you know, even when myself, you know, I'm traveling. I I just came back from long trip from Asia, and uh, usually I would just you know do my everything day right away. You know, like this time has been four or five days, kind of difficult to you know wake up two or three in the morning and then it's hard to go back to sleep because the body body response right so and then d- during the daytime trying to take a short nap and then I end up taking a long nap you know <laughs> and then that messes up in the night next night so so I think simple things like uh not jet lag but everybody who suffers with that uh, you know wake up in the morning you know what we typically do is to turn on the light, to, to get up, and turn on the computer, phone. Uh, and so basically, in, instead of staying in the dark room, in the darkness, you know, without light, instead of going inward, we we cannot help. Many, many people just, they, have, they cannot help. And then it becomes a very bad pattern just, just I cannot sleep. So turn on the light. I cannot sleep. Turn on the phone. I cannot sleep. Then just make a cup of coffee. Get up. So doing that, I mean, you, it's it's just the pattern that you don't. You have to recognize somebody's doing that. Some eye is doing that. Who who have no clue the importance of not turning the light, not turning the phone, not wake getting up. Just lie down in the same position. Take meditate. Take a breathing exercise trying to find in, internal comfort zone where you can enter into it. I mean, in uh, either it's a space that you enter into it or imagination that you enter into it, very comforting, peacing. And then once you arrive those in, in that inner space and in a warmth place, you just breathe deep enough for 10 minutes, you're back to sleep. And uh, But people don't do that. People don't even try to do that. So... To that, to and then once you fall asleep, then you have whole the inner world, you know, like a, a before dream state, what we refer as a sleep yoga. Uh, for many people, uh, before you dream, the, that state is not so important, you know. In the West, particularly, it's not that state is not important. Everybody into a dream, not into sleep yoga. So that because reason why sleep yoga is more complicated, I don't know what I don't know what it really means and why it's important. The image is important, activity is important, responses are important, and what you're trying to do is important. What you're doing is important, but that space where everything is happening, it's not important. It doesn't make any sense, but that's how the attitude is. So people don't have any clue. So it's good to have those people who have evolved in a dream yoga practice for a period of time, know about it, practicing it, experiencing it, then to open up to idea of where everything is happening, yes. Yes. Where, where their space is. So I think good to be more curious about that. And, and then, of course, once the dream itself is happening, that basically dream is activity in our uh, in our life, in our Im- field of emotion, in our field of energy, in our brain, in our cells, in our body. So there are activities that are happening, and every activity has good reason to happening. And many times, most activity is they're trying to process, you know, because if, if 
It's like the same thing, you know, conversation. People said you know, in couple relationships, honey, we need to talk. Right. You know, when that whenever somebody says like that, it doesn't sound very good, right? Then, then there's some issue there. Honey, we need to talk. So when you don't talk, when you remain in silence, it's beautiful. That means there's no issue, no problem. When we need to talk, there is an issue that we need to talk. So when we when I'm dreaming, dream is trying to process an issue. Uh, process a thought or wound or conflict or fear, uh, some deep underlying uh, stuck emotions. So whenever that happening, how do you handle it? So the dream yoga knowledge is all about process, recognizing where it's coming from, processing what is coming from, recognizing that you are not that, recognizing you are more than that, you are beyond that, recognizing you have infinite possibility to do whatever you wanted to do if you discover that space, if you're not stuck in that identity. So that this is the yoga. So in some sense of deep realization of a freedom and flexibility when you are not stuck in one identity. I mean, you're playing the role of well, <clears throat> you know. So it's not like, a, it's not saying the identities are bad or you don't need. Sometimes, I, I, I guess, if if I don't only identify, I know I identify more stronger as a father than the husband. And definitely I identify more, more father and the husband than the teacher. So my identity, they definitely have issues where I identify stronger than the others. So wherever I, I identify stronger, there is more issue with that. So when you are not being only one identity, accommodating all the other identities is where you're opening up some more space. Practically, you need to open up more space. So, so, so I think those are kind of important knowledge where really dream yoga comes. Yeah, and isn't it? Um, wouldn't it be fair to say, Rinpoche, that in one way to actually discover selflessness is to um, understand the multitude, the multitudinous dimension of ourselves. In fact, the more selves we have with this flexibility of identity, then maybe you can actually start to determine that fundamentally underneath it or beneath it all, there's no fundamental self. It's like, it's like uh, you, can become, you can become an actor. You can sure. act around the stage of life. Yeah. So in some sense, I think uh, I'm not sure about more self is better, but some, sometimes I think it's a more like a no self, and then when 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 you are more, you, when you have, you have this sense of free, I'm no one, and then it being no one, it gives you this opportunity to be anyone. Everyone, yes. So anyone, why you wanted to be anyone is circumstance. Circumstances defines the different different moment defines. You know, there are some some moment I needed to be more quiet, and I how to know that then that moment when you are. If you are opening up, you realize this is the moment I needed to be more quiet. This is the moment I needed to talk. This is I needed to be a little bit even, you know, aggressive. You know, not aggressive is the right word, but strong. This is the moment I can be totally smiling and be peaceful. So you different personality to able to manifest. Only way best way to keep do that would be just being no one or not identifying with one very strongly. I mean, whole idea of, I'm sure you know that, that all the idea of multiple personality, that the identity disorder 
all these things ha- happens, issues happens before about six years old. And why reason, the main reason these multiple personality, the causes of multiple personality, is because child childhood abuse. So why? Because when the child is abused, then that particular moment, they need to, to protect themselves. The only reason they need to protect themselves, the, what they're identifying with as a child is not able to protect themselves. Well, they have to be a, a strong guard or they have to be this funny or they have to be this like a very macho kind of being. So a male or female. So they manifest, naturally they manifest that personality to protect the other personality. And so the, so sometimes some people have many personality and they are so with harmony, they're living together as a family and one needed to do come out, one needed to come out because that's what they needed that moment. And when that is not necessary, no one is there. So in the same way, I think the whole the pantheon of Buddhism in a tantric, hold this deity, each one of them have some reason to come out. The best is none of them, just Dharmakaya space. Yeah, and then really, to me, Rinpoche, the way this practice has worked for me is that we're always assuming these identities, usually by the dictates of the environment. And that, to me, suggests a kind of non-lucid, involuntary incarnation of identity. Yeah. And by engaging in, in dream yoga, we develop a more voluntary flexibility where we're not forced by external circumstances to take on particular envir- um, identities. But we can then, like you just said, maybe stay centered. And this would be a nice transition to the inner yoga principles to stay centered in the central channel. And so that we're, we're not taking involuntary rebirth into these identities. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you you have more your awareness has more role, and uh, your pain is not pushed. Yeah, absolutely. So, if you don't mind, I'd like to go a little bit deeper and start to explore some of the more nuanced, subtle aspects of of this book. One at the outset, I'm I'm curious. Some non-dual teachers these days, and there it seems to be like the non-dual tradition, so to speak, are popping up everywhere which is wonderful. But I've heard some non-dual teachers say that we return when we return to sleep, we're fundamentally returning to the non-dual nature. Um, but I remember very clearly, especially, um, I guess in the um, first for the first edition for sure, where you say something so interesting in relationship to this, that, that you say something about we return to sleep, to recharge our samsaric batteries. <clears throat> so is this a matter of distinguishing the different dimensions of sleep? In other words, when we fall asleep as a form of really distraction to recharge our samsaric batteries, that would be in complete contradiction to what some of the non-dual teachers are saying, that we return to sleep to rest in the nature of reality. So is it a matter of understanding the dimensions of the unconscious? Yeah, mind? so I think it, it probably depends on the interpretation. Uh, mm-hmm. Probably I don't think there is a particular contradiction there. And so, for example, in um, in our every meditation during the daytime, what we're trying to do is trying to bring attention to the moment, attention to the place, attention in your body, attention to your breath. So it basically means you're bringing attention to the closer and closer and deeper and deeper in order not to uh, continuously 
elaborate the samsaric pain stories in order to not get stuck in these pain emotions or pain thoughts, pain identities. So dissolving back, 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 back into that pure awareness during the meditation. That's what we're trying to do. So this similar thing happens in the night also. Outer element like earth, water, fire, air, space, they dissolve back, 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 lighter, 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 more introverted, more introverted, more subtler and subtler to the point the identity it's weakened, its activity is weakened, so that somehow it dissolves back to the so-called base consciousness. So when when it when it go back to the base consciousness, and some for some people who are highly evolved in meditation, they, it it is possible they are in the non-dual state. So they are that means they are in the sleep yoga, clear light. Mm-hmm. So that that's true for those non non-dual speakers. There are people who might experience that, but that's not for everybody, you know. But for most of the people, at least they are they are not fully act uh, active in their pain and pain stories and emotions. They are, they are lightened up so much. The identity is lightened up so much, and particularly maybe some moment they are even dissolved. That moment they are charging. That well, that's the idea of charging the samsaric battery. They basically you are. Yeah, you're giving break to your body, you're giving break to your breath, you're giving break to your mind, you're giving break to your emotion, you're giving break to your this naturally generating healing energies. So, you know, like they are, so that, so that they are blocked. So you're giving break to them means they, they're more, they become more active in self-healing mode. So, so I think it's kind of both thing happens, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, that makes total sense. So there are a couple of things, Ramache, uh, that I wanted to just send your way um, that I thought I found were particularly unique contributions in this particular edition. And one is this wonderful section in your book where you talk about um, establishing dream guardians in a kind of protector circle uh, approach. Can you say a little bit more about that, especially for listeners who may not be either Bun or Tibetan Buddhists? How how can we culturally translate this notion of of dream guardians, dream protectors, so we create a more sacred environment and protective environment we sleep? So you know, um, generally in our tradition. M- the image deities in the image iconography of images, the the male and the wrathful aspect is more like a protecting from outer dimension, you know, like a like a guard, you know. And the female and more goddess type is more protection of more inner type, like basically like a mother and a father in some sense, right? Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's not like white and black, but generally energetically, a father protects, you know, if there's an outer threat and mother at home protecting the baby, holding the baby close to the physical, close that closeness. So, so there's this sense of goddess, you know, what we call uh, dream goddess that uh, very much directly related with uh, dream yoga and who protects in all this duality, conceptualization, negative emotions uh, that interferes the dream. And so uh, basically you're taking your hand 
from this out, very active samsaric waking world to the subtler in a dream world, kind of basically accompanying you with that and then bring you into that another dimension and letting you be aware. So, so that that is understood. I mean, basically they understood that there is this goddess in different traditions, sometimes different goddesses, more they are more peaceful, they're more motherly, they're more loving, they're image-wise, they're there. You know, it's like when we grow up, your, your parents are telling story, maybe your mother is telling more stories. And then as when you grow up, then you nobody's telling any stories. You know, you just left with your thoughts and emotions and confusion of the day. So that's the problem. You know, it's not somebody's just opening up this protective space, imagination that whatever the imagination that you love, taking into that world of imagination and then putting you to sleep. Then you know your mom, your mother is there, families are there, they are you're protected, you're safe, you're you're allowed to go into this imaginary world. You know, that. When ch- childhood people growing up, you have that. But when we're adult, we lost, lose that. So I, I think somehow maintaining continuously to have that, the idea of goddess. So another word, I mean, if you try to psycholo- psychologize with that, will be more more like a, we all have our rough part and we have our soft part. You know, our rough part is in the self-critical, self-judgmental, criticizing other people. What went wrong today? World is not a bad place. World, you know, all, all these kind of negative act activation before you go to sleep, or you have softer side. It's like, okay, world is bad, but it's not that bad. You know, situation is not good, but it's. I'm I'm hoping it will be better. But some sense of there is more opening toward the positivity, hope, inspiration, and protection, security, safety. And opening that dimension of yourself, you're opening that aspect of yourself, I think it's important to be, before you go to sleep. I think fundamentally, I think for most people learn need to learn that. That I think is so important before you go because it's, night is messed up. And so, and so again, Ripje, I think one of your great gifts as I look at your your remarkable career, um, assuming your identity as a as a a resident of the United States working in the Western cultures is your extraordinary gifts as a cultural translator. And so maybe talk to us a little bit more specifically about people who who are um, from the Judeo-Christian tradition or Islamic tradition and, and how flexible, we're talking earlier about flexibility, how flexible is the doctrine, are the tantras, when it comes to adapting some of these principles and tenets for non-Asian minds, like for instance, here with the protectors, uh, maybe a little bit more specifically, how can someone invoke a protector mandala principle within their own um, culture? Yeah, so I guess uh, that when you are going back to the idea of being no one and if you are no one you can be anyone back to that idea that in a fundamentally that every religion every different tradition it's like this it's like no one you're no one so that you have opportunity to create anything you you need so throughout the history or circumstantial, you know, like in different part of the world. I think maybe this different religion, different philosophy, different principle come out because of that, mm. the truth of anything is possible, right? 
So, so even even in looking at culture like Buddhism, you know, if you go in one culture, there's a in China there's a fat Buddha, in Pakistan there's a skinny Buddha. You know, so it's not like a Buddha is fat or skinny or you know wears a lot of clothes or wears nothing naked or you know. So it's always culturally translated. You can see that. So I mean, I think ultimately trying to see something so much unflexible truth in cultural translation of the you know manifestation of the truth will it's mistaken i think so so that 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 there got to be some kind of openness so so you know when you when you are feeling free when you're feeling completely free you feel like okay i you know of course i have identity but i'm not really feel stuck in one identity then when you walk out the day like that, you're just happy because sun is shining. You're just happy because the 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 air is fresh. You're just recognizing there's a dog and these kids are walking through the street. You're just happy to see the guy who serves your coffee or the smell of the coffee. I mean, everything makes you happy because somehow you're not stuck in any identity. So what makes you happy is not important. Everything makes you happy because because you're you're free inside. So different. I'm not saying different religion is like a cow, coffee, a water, and kid and dog, but in some sense, the manifestation are less important when that space is fully awakened in any culture. So I think every tradition has no question about the connection to that deeper, deeper non-dual state. But manifestation of different culture tradition came out from that. And then they sometimes they went too much into the manifestation, you know. Even even in Tibetan tradition, you know, I think every tradition. I mean, I, I'm as a Tibetan, I know more in Tibetan tradition because sometimes, you know, I feel like instead of emphasizing, or oh, my lama, or you know, my lama, this is my lama, or something like that. Just just talk about the Buddha. It's easy to have just a fo- focus on the Buddha and Buddha's, Buddha's teaching instead of focus on the, your own personalized Lama. But of course, I understand we as a human being. I know how much I cherish my teacher um, that I feel strong about the devotion and that, that all this deep, beautiful relationship I have. But when you have something deep relationship, it's more genuine. It's, you know it's it's your. And that's different than... When you feel like, oh, maybe, you know, everybody seems like having devotion to the teacher. So I must have it. So I'm, I'm trying to have it. I'm trying to force myself to have it. And going to that direction of forcing oneself. And that's not, you have to kind of recognize where you are crossing that boundary, you know. Mm-hmm. You're totally free to feel this. Just I mean, you can give life to someone. That kind of devotion you feel, it's wonderful. I mean, just beautiful. I wish everybody had that experience. But when you don't have you never force yourself to feel anything toward anybody. Uh, and then because because particularly when somebody says, oh, no, my teacher is more important. My tradition is more important. Then everything goes back to the Buddha, right? So focus on the Buddha rather than your tradition and my tradition, my Lama and your Lama. In Tibetan, I sometimes feel like that. But then the same applies to every tradition, you know, how many branches of Christianity, Judaism, and, you know. We tend we tend to forget the commonality of the roots and the divisive. Experience. Yeah, we forget the root, and we fight for branch. Exactly, exactly. Well, this is such an important point. I want to take it just one little step further, Rinpoche. 
because to me, this is this is really a, a central issue in the West. This notion of um, of the necessity of adaptation. I mean, even if we briefly talk about Darwinian evolution, if something doesn't adapt, it goes extinct. But in this case, when we're bringing these precious wisdom traditions from such different cultures into the West, the the challenge to me, and this is what I want you to perhaps say something about, is the issue of proper adaptation versus inappropriate editing. In other words, how much flexibility is too much flexibility? When how do you centrifuge out? How you distinguishing distinguish? Well, I want to make this practice my own. I remember when my lamas always said, "Don't be afraid to make the practice your own." Well, the obvious near enemy there is well, ego comes in, right, and says, "Oh, I'm going to co-opt this. I'm going to edit it," and then you lose the magic because you're actually adapting to such an extent that um, it turns into a heavy editorial process. Yeah. So. That's a very good question, a very important question. Um, so uh, adaptation is, I think, I guess, you need to adapt what is needed to be adapted. You know, so uh, so I, I don't think there is a limit. in. again, if you put the limit, that means you're putting a limit to yourself. You're forcing yourself. So if self required different levels of adaptation, each of these self is it need to respect it to allow to adapt those situations. Otherwise, how you can say, or oh, these kind of self can adapt and these kind of self cannot adapt. How you can say, like when the Buddha, in the, at least in the Nyingma and Burn tradition, when we have a nine ways or burn, nine ways, nine, nine vehicle. So Buddha will say, okay, no, only eight, nine, forget about it, get out of here. We, we only have allowed to adapt up to an eight level. Ninth, forgot about it. You don't say that. You know, if there's a nine, there's a nine. If there's eight, there's an eight. Then there's a four doctrine in a Buddhism. And then the four doctrines or the five part, there's a five part. Ten boomies, there's a ten boomies. It's not like, you know, I think putting a limit like that, I think it's not fair to put a limit. Who who can put the limit? You know, I mean, as a teacher evolving in the West, I understand that very well because sometimes I get a little bit criticized by him saying, okay, you're making it too simple. And, uh, and then I... I I, I I don't feel that I'm compromising anything because I, I know what I'm doing. But in the eyes of others, I, sometimes I'm compromising because I'm not forcing people to do the want to practice or want to practice in traditional way. But if you look historically, when did Mondo even start it? No, it did not start that early. Somebody invented also. But somebody saw the, to, to, to bringing in that format at that time in history, that was a necessary so you do that. Foundation practice is important, but that particular foundation and that particular structure, that particular force, is not important in this this particular moment, twenty first century. You know, but the foundation practice is important. That commonality is there. The structure is not a common. The realization is common. So if you you know like, I mean I know like sometimes some teachers who. Uh, talk about impermanence practice, which is a very important part of impermanent practice. If, imp if any practice makes you depressed, doesn't open the door, makes you feel depressed, hopeless, and not able even to get up and practice, it's not a good practice, for sure, for anybody's eye. So sometimes the impermanent practices explain in a way exactly that's what's happening. And then that's the wrong way of presenting it. 
But if you present impermanent practice in a right way, then it opens up like it happens. You know, every time September 11 happens, everybody change. One warmer heart, more seeing the, you know, the war, definitely after the war, people everywhere in the world, particularly people who go suffer through the war, their family are no longer different the rest of their life. They, they know to live more in the moment. It's not words. They know. You never know what happens in life. So anybody who experienced the closeness to impermanence in their heart, they change their life. That's the positive impact of impermanence. You don't need to teach that. It happens to everybody. But you need to know what's happening. And you need to bring same kind of principle in your life with other things. That's the commonality of practice. Mm. The structure is not a common thing. and doesn't need to be common. That's really beautiful. And to me, it, it really bespeaks to the central importance of upaya, skillful means, which to me is not meeting people where you're at, but meeting people where they're at. Absolutely. And speaking their language, listening, paying attention, opening, and then adapting in that capacity. No, no, culturally, it's interesting. You know, like sometimes we, we, I mean, as a we, I'm always referring myself and as a culturally grow up in a totally different culture. So sometimes we have a feeling about, you know, this is very cultural thing. You know, when you are meeting with your student, uh, it's almost like, uh, or or during the retreat when you're teaching, I wanted to cover cover these four, 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 or measurable truth and something like that. You got bombarded with information and taxes and historical accounts and a reference to different texts and something like that. And which is wonderful to do that to the right person. As somebody who is a monk who has been educated, who had who wanted to learn deeper intellectually and who has hold has a whole time in life, not have children, not you know the right people to teach that way. But somebody who's coming first time who have just went through the divorce and who is just suffering deep inside, who have totally lost, not knowing, seeing any future life direction. I mean, you're going into the whole philosophy of Buddhism to that person. It's a wrong way to teach, wrong person to teach. And many times, many teachers, sometimes we don't recognize that. And, and when we just listen to them, it's so much beneficial just to listening to people who are suffering. It's so much beneficial that, but as a culturally, we don't, we are not valued that. When we grow up, when we grow up, we did not value that. So we don't know how to value that. So when we're listening to somebody's problem, we think we are wasting time. When you're bombarding with information, knowledge that you have learned, you're, you think you feel like you're making good use of time. It's wrong. This, uh, this is so beautiful, and it's so wonderfully important to, to share this. So thank you so much for that. Let, I want to return, with your permission, Rinpoche, to more specifically to the dream arena. And, and, and it, this is a question from my own experience, and I often receive it myself, is how can you tell when you're having a dream figure in your dream? Let, let's say um, Padmasambhava appears in your dream. How can you determine if the figure is just a, a, a projection from your own unconscious mind or whether it's somehow in, in a so-called external infusion of 
Padmasambhava, Padmasambhava energy into your mind stream. I suppose on one level, maybe it doesn't matter, but maybe on another level, it does matter. I mean, the, the permeability of the mind, how is it that someone like Padmasambhava or even you can influence another person's being, or is it all coming from within, from our own unconscious dimension? Yeah, so so I, I guess um, a, one has to go a few back steps that deep inside, we are no one, and deep inside, we are that unbounded space. We are, one thing is you're no one. If we are someone, the basis of whole manifestation, we are that unbounded space. We are that infinite light energy. We are that manifestation, dynamic energy. We call, we call, we are mother, we are child, we are dynamic energy, or we are space, awareness, and compassion, whatever you wanted to call these three levels, energy. So that's we are, I think, universally, everybody, doesn't matter you are Jewish, Christianity, Buddhist, Buddhist, or believer, non-believer, I think that three fundamental dimension is the same for everybody. So that's the commonality. So what manifests out as a Padma Sambhava, you know, and, uh, so, or, or Christ, or Virgin Mary, uh, any or the or the spirit of the nature for the Native Americans, for example, like the whatever manifestation comes out, that is there is a collective unconscious uh, energy there, you know, like so that particular time in history, there is maybe when within the hundred years period of time or five hundred years period of time, there is a collective consciousness wish and want and need or uh, that manifestation of that deity for protecting that period of history, dharma, whatever it is. So that there's a, it's not only you and me, we are, we are, co we are collectively talking about Padma Sambhava because we both, we know Padma Sambhava. But if there was a different time in history, we won't be talking about Padma Sambhava because there was no Padma Sambhava for, for their eyes and their minds, right? So, so somehow uh, we are giving birth to Padma Sambhava, but the sources of birth is, is that unbounded space, that infinite energy, that sense of this protecting, protection, guidance. So the protection and guidance is what we are seeking that particular time in history. That's why we need the image like that. Savior, the protect, somebody comes to save us. So you, this image of savior is manifestation is possible because infinite possibility. So, so I think um, image-wise, you know, sometimes you can, let's say this way, uh, image of three inner three dimension, space awareness and dynamic energy. Image of that space awareness and in dynamic energy can be anything. Like we, we talk about the three kaya, dharmakaya, sambhogakaya, nirmanakaya, and whenever we said Nirmanakaya, every tradition have their own Nirmanakaya. You know, in the Buddhist tradition, we have Tambashyara. In the Buddhism, they have Shakyamuni, you know. So it's Nirmanakaya is a different. So you can have, but the, the basis is the same. So I guess the images are important for person who are seeing that image, whatever that means to you. But more important than that, where the images are coming from. If I, if I need a savior, if I'm able to have an image of savior, that's the image is important for me. 
So, you know, I think that that that, that some sense of deeper meaning manifesting out in my own form of image for me is this important but not fight for this ima- image for other image but feel more commonality of that we have both common space of that infinite possibility beautiful beautiful so somewhat along along these lines in terms of like um working with the seeming sense of internality and externality you in your book you talk about this ties in also to this protector principle we talked earlier about. I'm wondering about how, you know, we have the saying in the West, ignorance is bliss. Well, is is ignorance really bliss when it comes to believing in these um, external agencies, these malevolent spirits and the like? It's, again, some people. So let me, let me maybe go back to get, go back to this your story about, I just want to give a very mundane example. Okay. That's it. Attraction and love attachment. Think about that. So every sentient being, attachment is there. Love is there. But so what is the commonality between all sentient beings, even all maybe all species, even the animals, you know, how you know this how mother is very loving to the dog, puppies, and puppies are very connected to the mother. Love is there, it's universal. But to what you feel as a love, to whom you feel as a love, and what kind of loving relationship you have with that, it's a different. So, so if you you fall in love with with your partner, your wife, I fall in love with my partner, my wife. Everybody falls in their partner in their life. You cannot say, "Oh, we have to we have to love the same person." Our love is commonality. But you love different person. And because infinite manifestations are there for you to manifest your love. So the same love energy, you can pervade to many different people in a different kind of love. Or you can have very limited, you have only few people love. Or maybe some people, unfortunately, they don't have anybody, they feel that love. So the love is commonality. Where you manifest is not. So if same thing, if Buddhist, Buddhist, Buddhist manifesting a Buddha and Christianity manifesting Christ or whatever, every religion manifesting their own collective image of savior, that's okay. That's yours, but not criticize others. It's not, it's, it's saying the only person in the world love should be my wife. That seems like it's so <laughs> stupid to say that. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, this is beautiful, Rinpoche, because it really, in this in this age of divisiveness and sectarianism, it, this softens that tendency that we have even in the wisdom traditions to feel that the the expressions have to be in this particular way and not another. So it's a it's a wonderful way to soften that. I, I, there's a, I think there's a people sometimes you know I meet people who feel feel strong about outer manifestation, which is fine. But I think if you. For example, if I feel oh, burnt tradition is the the most important tradition for me, and uh, Thomas Shero is the most important Buddha for me, for my teacher is most important person in my life, I can feel all those things wonderful. But the moment I go telling someone else what they're doing is not right, it's a different. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You don't have to do that. You don't have to love someone. You don't have to hate someone to love someone. Yeah. Yeah. If you need to hate someone to love someone, 
be aware, more careful. Yeah, that's that's really so spot on. But if you don't mind, let me let me return to this issue of um, you talk quite a bit in your book. Um, and again, it's, it's one of the challenges in discussing a book like yours. There's it's so rich. There's so much there. So I don't mean to be um, sporadic and jump from topic to topic, but I want to try to reach some of the highlight points for me um, and yet go into some depth with several of these. But what I wanted to return to briefly, Rinpoche, is this, um, you talk about the malevolent local deities and spirits and that sort of thing, which I, I believe in because I've experienced them, I feel them, I see them. But but if we don't believe in them, again, the Westerner thing, um, is ignorance bliss? If, if I don't believe in these external malevolent agencies, these spirits and whatnot, do they still have power over me? Is ignorance really bliss here? If I don't believe in them, or I mean, how important is it to have an understanding of these agencies, even though we don't believe in them, even though we don't see them, what kind of effects do they have on us if we don't? So, I guess the, their power over you when you don't believe it is the power that they don't have a power over you. You know what I'm saying? Same okay, let, let me repeat it. So if if i'm if i believe in a beautiful weather and if i say oh california is not a beautiful weather if i don't believe in beautiful weather even the beautiful weather is and the power is that the weather will not have an effect on you the weather will not give me enough happiness that everybody else is enjoying with it that negative power is still a power but you have a negative impact on what is but if you are open to it, if you believe in it, then you have a positive power. But the effect is there. So, the, so, I mean, the question of is that is effects or not, if I don't believe or believe it. Effect is there always. So I think um, it goes back to the same question about, you know, uh, particularly in the West, I think it's very strange sometimes. I feel that people do, it's not people don't believe. People believe in too many things. People believe in stock market will make money. People believe in, uh, you know, cryptocurrency will make money or people believe, I mean, they believe in, there's a belief in everything. <laughs> this is not that I don't believe. People think, oh, I'm very smart, intellectual, and I need a science and logic and reasoning. I don't believe, that's not true. Yeah. They believe, they have too, so much belief. Yeah. But sometimes some beliefs that might be more helpful they're not able to believe that. I mean, magic. You know, magic is possible to just believe in it. You know, you, you open your heart and mind, and the moment you open heart and your mind, the chances of happening wonderful things are so much more. For example, when you wake up in the morning, you go, you know, it's not like you have a reason. You said, I'm open to the you know, magic today. I'm open to the joy today. I'm open to meet interesting people. I'm open to excitement. I'm open to this. If you're open to go with that, then you encounter all those things. Yeah. If you say, oh, I don't believe in any of those things, you know, what is there in this world? This world is so horrible, terrible. These people are terrible. My neighbor is bad people. My family is messed up. If you go, these are your beliefs but you don't believe in the other things. Yeah, so basically, I think the question about belief is, I mean, even if you're talking about the spirits, yeah, they're there. If you don't believe in it, they don't disappear. 
So basically what, what you're saying in, in a very um, nuanced way is that it, it is to our advantage to believe in them because they're having, it's like, even if you don't believe in a virus, it's still going to have an effect on you, whether you believe in it or not. Is that too much of an extreme example? I mean, it seems to me, if that's the case, then it really does behoove us to establish a relationship to these spirits and yeah. agents. So I think one important part is that n- never force yourself to do anything or believe in anything. Trying to learn to open makes lo- make sense and make have some logic. Even you can have a logic to believe in some something. I mean, even if you look at the science, you know, people say, I believe in the science. But for how many centuries, you know, like people, science keeps changing. You know, you, you hear even the dietary, you know, people, you hear that, oh, the diary is good. You have to drink milk. You have to eat meat. Then you have, you should, you don't need meat or you cannot eat only egg white, not egg yolk. And so now it's okay to eat egg yolk. It's not, nothing directly to the cholesterol. You know, you make you eat something for 10, 15, 20 years and then tell you it's not the right thing to eat. And then you eat the other the right thing and then after 10 years, they tell you, no, that's okay. You, you, you should have just enjoyed eating that. It doesn't affect you. you know, how you can believe like that? It keeps changing all the time. That's great. That's so it's I always think. like the middle way, moderate, eat whatever you love to eat. Enjoy whatever you love to eat with moderation. You know, and balance. So uh, even having a little junk food with good friends may be healthier than having healthy food with your depressed wife or friend, you know. (laughs) That's actually quite funny, but very true, isn't it? Yeah. Very true. Yeah. So I want to return to something that I um, pinged out a few minutes ago that I wanted to get back to. And talk a little bit, um, change, change direction into this particular topic, because I think it's so big um, with dream yoga. It's one of the things that distinguishes dream yoga from lucid dreaming is that really um, the importance, the centrality of dream yoga as an inner subtle body yoga and how um, it targets in a tantric way, the subtle body as a way to affect subtle mind. So talk to us about several things. One is generally the importance of establishing a relationship to the subtle body. Again, somewhat akin to what we were just talking about. If we believe in it more, feel it more, we can better take use, make use of the subtle body, which is happening whether we like it or know it or not. But its place in the world of dream yoga. And then in particular, um, you, you, you say some wonderfully provocative things about, pardon the pun, but the centrality of the central channel, UMA, and how that works. So two big questions there. One is the overarching contribution of dream yoga with uh, subtle body processes, and then the, the importance of the central channel. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the idea of the importance of the subtle body is uh, very key because, um, you know, for example, again, always I'm trying to go back to the source, the idea of Dharmakaya, Sambhokaya, Nirmanakaya, Three Kayas, or unbounded space, infinite awareness, dynamic energy. So go back to these three things, right? So when you come out of there, there, you know, Infinite possibilities there, but most of the, our problem with this body is the limitation of this body. Or we people say, "I'm old," 
what, what are you referring to? Oh, my body is old, or getting old. So my body is getting old, that means I'm old. It's wrong. How you can say your body is getting old, that and then how you can define that you're old. Or I'm sick, worse, because my body is sick. So I am sick, I am old, I am dying. You're not. So everything is limited through this image of body. All I'm a limitation, no limitation of sense of self is experiencing a lot, lot of limitation with limitation by the body. So subtle body's role is no. You know, I can fly. So let's say talk about lucid dreaming. The lucid, lucid dream, dreamer has a subtle body. So who, who can change from one sex to another sex, one size to another size, uh, one quality to another quality, one speed to another speed, one dimension to another dimension, one, uh, one universe to another universe, one period of time in history to another period of time, one encounter to another encounter. You can do anything, anytime, any you like. If you are awakened in that lucid dream, if you are awakened in that subtle body, so subtle body's ability to break all the logics and rules of this physical condition, conditions. That's the role. That's what we want. If you don't have a subtle body, it, then, then you're stuck in this physical world. I mean, if you look story about, you know, September 11, there was a, you know, after September 11, there was an investigation goes on for years. And the final conclusion for thousands of pages was, about September 11, the Americans lack imagination. That was a one line of conclusion, American lack imagination. So what does that mean? Imagination means subtle body. In some sense, you have to not, not stuck in your routine way of thinking, your physical way of thinking, your conditional way of thinking. You have to think beyond the limitations that you are we have to think that these people are called more advanced, out of box. So, so in the Dharma world, in a tantric world, in a magic world, is the same thing. Who is able to imagine farther away than than stuck in this limitation of collective conditions or individual conditions or conditions of the body, physical dimension? So the subtle body breaks the rules. So, you know, practice of imagination, you can, you can, yeah, it's the same thing when you get up in the morning, I can think about this, today will be my best day. Just open up with that energy. Today I'm going to meet incredible people, I'm going to talk with them, I'm going to engage with them, I'm going to find out. You open to that world, the world will be, that day will be a completely different day of the whole entire your life. Because you are going with a different body. You're letting you're giving a break to your pain body, so your body will encounter amazing another bodies. You're break, giving a break to your pain speech. You're going to have a great conversation with so many new people. If you're going to have a great joyful conversation with conflicting disagreements, because you're 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 taking a break from pain speech, the subtle voice comes out. Subtle heart comes out, subtle energy comes out, subtle imagination comes out, subtle, subtle sense of self comes out, image of self. I am like, a, I'm sky. I'm not this body. 
I'm the sun, I'm infinite light. I'm this dynamic energy which can move through anything and anybody. You know, so those are subtle images. I mean, what a what a wonderful way also to dovetail this back into the previous conversation about uh, flexibility of identity. Even yeah. a, this is like a horizontal flexibility. Now we're talking about a vertical flexibility. We have yeah. dimensions. So, both so it always goes back, and that's the thing. You know, I feel no matter what I talk about, I always go back. So that's why I know I'm on track. When I'm not going back, where where the commonality is. I'm only on, I'm only get stuck in where the differences are, then I feel there's something wrong with me. And I think, isn't that, Rinpoche, another way to talk about archetypally the difference between lucidity and non-lucidity at a deeper level? When you're when you're stuck on the superficial identity level and reifying those states, that's archetypal non-lucidity. Yeah. You have this deeper recognition with lucidity being code word for awareness. This is archetypal lucidity principle. Yes, absolutely. I mean, even if you just look at a normal in everyday life, where, when does the good friendship happens? When good friendship happens, when I totally respect your, your need, our differences, and even your weakness, which is similar to my weakness, but your, you have unique weakness. I have a different kind of weakness. We have weakness. Weakness are not avoided. Weakness are show, be, be, feel vulnerable, safe to expose to each other and have respect to that, support to that. And then we become a good friend. We become more authentic, more become more real. So in a life, in a journey, in a spiritual, same thing. We have to respect all the pains, all the conditions, and then we can open up door 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 of the joy. So let's get this is wonderful introduction in a general way to the power of the subtle body. If you don't mind, Rinpoche, let's get a little bit more specific now because again, I was really impressed with the emphasis you placed on this in your book. And again, um, talk to us a little bit about the importance of the uma, the central channel during the day is a way to become centered, how it works with dreams, what, what actually is the central channel, why is it so important? Because I, I think this is a, a big... So kind of let's say this way again, I, I'm, I'm always going back. <laughs> You're always right. talking about let's be specific. I'm going back to the way that's less specific. <laughs> okay, that's great. It's a nice dance. <laughs> so so the idea will be going back, you know, the space. Mm -hmm. and awareness and the dynamic energy. So these three things are common for all of us, universal, right? So the role of the central channel is representing that subtlety. So because central channel is something beyond physicality, you know, it's like a heart. We have a very common heart. We have the heart beeps and the heart, how many times beat of heart, what kind of beat it should be. Uh, artery should be open, what level it should be open, what, when is the problem. We have common, but the central channel might not be a common. So central channel is somehow, it's part of your body, it's related to your body in a very subtle way. So you're going from your, your limbs, your arms, to your organs, to your intestines, to your cells, to your channels, to your three channels to your five chakras to your central channel is going so you're going deeper 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 in some place 
that basically means from below the navel until to the crown, the central part of this body, that's where the central channel is. So in, in a way, when you bring attention to there, so in, in a tantric teaching, it says, the ultimate goal of Tantra is to bring the settler's mind and the prana in the central channel, unifying the settler's awareness and the settler's wind in the central channel is the purpose of the Tantra. So internal awakening happens only when these two meet in the central channel, not in any chakras, not in side channels, only in the central channel. So, so that's why I think the central channel is very important to, to, you know, I mean, theoretically speaking, that's why important. But practically speaking, what does that mean to ordinary people? It means that, you know, your sense of self, which is very much conditioned by circumstances. People, for example, people will say, I'm a lawyer. I would, I would you know, I would, I would uh, like better to say I'm, I'm, I'm old because identifying with my body than the, my profession. But still, both are not good. But I prefer to say I'm old because my body is getting old. I'm identifying more with my body, not with what I do. So most of the time, people, they identify more what they do, particularly in the West. Not only that, the worse than that, people say people identify with what they have or what they don't have. So that is the fundamental issue where, where culturally, what is main identity where you emphasize? In the West, very much. I mean, the word like uh, how much this person is worth. I've never ever heard that entire my life. Worthiness of individual defining with dollar amount. I have never ever heard that definition growing up until I, you know, I came to the West. Now I say somebody's worth. Usually we will talk about the worthiness or you, are, you have a precious human body. You have precious, you know, like Buddhahood, Buddha Nietzsche in you. That's what we are taught to say. You're, you're worthy because Buddha Nietzsche is in, in you. You're worthy, you have this precious human body. You're worthy because of your rich inherited tradition. You're worthy because of your surrounding and your family but not the dollars, you know? So it goes back to always the same place, you know? So central channel is nobody says, I am a central channel. People say, I love you from my heart. I, I, I joke with my student, I say, stop saying that. If you really love someone, you say, love from the central channel. Mm-hmm. Or say, I'm giving you a spacious, luminous, warm hug. <laughs> space, I'm giving from that unmounted space infinite awareness that's luminous warm coming energy dynamic energy coming out of that that is the hug that i'm giving you i'm giving you spacious luminous warm hug i'm love you from central channel and that would be a better way of expressing it a more more subtler way of expressing it <laughs> less less appropriated and less personalized and so this is so rich uh, rinpoche the other really beautiful part in your book connected to this was how you talk elegantly about the shaping of dreams, um, depending on how the pranas move to the different parts of the subtle body, which interestingly, in as, as you maybe know, in the Western world, um, 
some very influential scientists talk about, you know, your your body is your unconscious mind. And most of them don't acknowledge the subtle body, excuse me, but it seems to me we could take the same principle and apply it to say your subtle body is your even deeper subconscious mind. So talk to us a little bit about the the role of the subtle body and the way the winds move into the different energetic centers to actually shape the dreams that we have. And then why is that important? Well, that is important. First of all, if you look every single night where when we go to sleep, even though you are not participating in the process, you are not saying, okay, now it's the evening, I'm going to go to the bed. I'm, I'm going to bring more awareness in my dream. And my dreams will be affected with my daily activity, my thoughts, my emotions. So what kind of activity I had today? Uh, what kind of emotions I have today? Did I able to process them well? Are they still hanging there, bothering me, bothering my evening? You know, just bringing a lot of awareness to that because then you know you you have chance to change it, chance to process it. You have chance not to carry all the stories in your sleep. You know, it's true every night that that's true. You know, I know clearly if I if I have a thought that bothers me. That And I know it's going to affect my sleep at night, but if I know how to process it, best way to, to, to dissolve that self who is having it and not have the thought, um, another, best, another way to do it will be change myself, trying to see that in a more positive way, that whatever the event is, and feel free and feel good about it and then go to sleep. So it's going to impact. So, so the energy, like as talking about the body, Body, body is full of memory. Every part of the cell, every single cell, is, is, it has, carries its own memory, carries on its story, and its its own story is always transmitting to the next cells, right? So that in, they say, like a uh, three hundred and thirty billion cells are replaced every single day. Uh, three hundred uh, three uh, three million, uh, more than three million cells are replaced every second. So every second. Uh, cells are each cell are carrying some memory. So how do you how you can change the memory of those cells? Uh, well, if if you don't do anything, if you do what you normally do, which which has created those cells and those memory, then nothing's going to change because you're going to empower more to say, okay, you're going to have a nightmare. You are the you have frequent nightmare. You're going to have a nightmare. Have more nightmare tonight. Horrible you. Go to bed. Just, you know, if you that's the energy of the body, energy of the message you give to those cells, you're going to have same same kind of and worse. But if you bring if you bring awareness, if you bring the light, if you bring the dynamic energy in through the breath into the, the replacement of these cells, the cells are going to be different. It's new cells replaced, new memories replaced, new energies replaced. Your dream is going to be different. So, so in a dream yoga, we talk about these major energy centers, like heart, for example. There might it might be possible that every night when you go to sleep, your attention you go putting your attention to your heart. Maybe, maybe you are very lonely. That's why. Maybe you have issue of physical heart conditions. Maybe you are emotionally very wounded in your love stories. Your story is about the heart. And every night you do go with your attention to your heart, physically, this area, this energy area, but without knowing it. 
So without knowing when you go there, what, what does that mean? That means you're going with the wrong story. You're going in the wrong space. You're going to the wrong energy. You're going with the wrong story. You cannot expect better good, good sleep. You cannot expect lucid dream. You cannot expect clear dream. You cannot expect healing dream. You're not going to happen. But when you change bringing your attention to the heart, why, like doing talung practice, like doing breathing from the heart, bringing the light of awareness to the heart. Now that you're changing the space, you're changing the dynamic energy, you're changing the story. Now you can expect better sleep. You can expect better dream. You will expect better day next day. So that, that's why I think this attention to different locations in your body, different energy feel in your body before you go to sleep is fundamental, fundamental. And so what, what other exercises can one do in addition to what you just said, Rinpoche, when we go to sleep to invite this interiority? What other practices, I, I, I guess the one that stands out for me in your book that I really connected to was during the course of the day, to literally remember, remind yourself to to come back, say say centered in the central channel. So, what what other practices can we do during the day with the subtle body to help us grease the skids for lucidity at night? So, of course, there in uh, in the book I talk about the four foundation practice or four or four principle practice, uh, drawing attention to your throat and the crown heart, the secret chakra. So these are very specific physical locations where you bring your awareness and the warmth before you go to sleep. So you are consciously going into these spaces and trying to open up these spaces so that opening up for the different dimension of dream and sleep. So in the night, we do that. During the daytime, every time, as you said, we're trying to remember that, you know, any experience what happens during the daytime, uh, some people, no matter what happens, everything what happens is, goes wrong for some people. And some people, something goes, some bad experience happened, they look at, oh, okay, you know, this is a difficult, but I, I, I know I can manage it. This is difficult. I'm happy I face this because this is the truth. I have to face eventually, so I'm, 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 I'm happy I'm facing it. Or this is the, or maybe this is the this is the situation I'm facing it. I think I'm taking too much personal. I don't care about it, you know. You know, I don't care about it. the sense of sometimes you also need some kind of oh, I don't care about it, you know, like caring too much about everybody's opinion, every situation is not good. So you need some kind of this more little bit more kind of wild aspect of yourself, not really caring about it, or sometimes more gentler and subtle awareness you are caring about it and you have means to carry about it. So somehow you're processing it, not, not, not storing negative stories. Every story is able to handle reasonably well throughout the day that in the night, when you look at all the stories, there's not, not so bad stories. So you can say, I'm, 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 I'm happy to go to sleep tonight. I have a lot of stories, but none of them are bad. And some of them even was difficult, but they were very important to hear a healing. So you go with that. So that's important preparation. Yeah, what came to mind somewhat playfully was when you enter the central channel, it's a bit like a filtering system where no thinking, especially no stinking thinking allowed, right? You, yeah. 
to enter a more open, non-conceptual, freer space. Yeah, just, just more being there. You know, so I mean, the uh, best, best thing is to just to be and connect with these pure energy centers. And then, and when you're not able to do that, because that means you have your rational mind, your thinking logic mind, your emotional mind is kind of interfering again and again, then you have to use the similar kind of emotion to process emotions, similar kind of thought to process the similar kind of thought. You have to work thought with thought, emotion with emotion, pain with pain, and, you know, lesson. And can you, as we start to close up here, there's a, just a few things. Is it, is it feasible to, um, if one becomes familiar with the energetic relationship between the energy centers and our dreams, is it actually feasible to use this information to incubate or to actually seed particular dreams? Let, let, let's say you, you're aspiring to gain some insight. You make aspirations to achieve some, some message or something in your dream. Can you can you augment that by bringing your uh, awareness to to energy? I mean, you mentioned the different chakra centers, but yeah. are there other centers that are worth exploring to to incubate or seed dreams? Yes, yeah, so definitely, you know, you can go do a specific way, like uh, entering into your crown, and uh, uh, yeah, entering into your th throat trying to discover the dimension of peace, trying to enter your know, crown, trying to discover the, your dimension of creativity, expansion of sense of self, or entering your heart, trying to exp expand your sense of love, warmth, joy. And, uh, you know, so in different locations, you can enter into different qualities. That's one thing, energetically. On the other hand, just simply before you go to sleep, you pray, you say, I... I, I know the dream is infinite possibility is there in a dream. If I'm trying to be, I will invoke all the spirit, all the enlightened beings, all the um, guardians and protectors, help me to uh, go beyond time and space, encounter uh, my master uh, who have lived 500 years ago. And uh, may I bring this question to her, to him, and get answer. So you you go with this in prayers and intention, and very often you encounter beings. You have frequent encounters. You have conversation. It's very normal. Fantastic. So if you if you have if you're meeting if you're having a lot of nightmares, if you're meeting your demons very frequently, you if you're open enough, you can you can encounter your divine and have also frequent conversation, good conversations. Yeah, why, why not? So if you're believing in one, believe the other one also. Exactly. That's perfect. So as we start to close up, <clears throat> excuse me, Rinpoche, what, say a couple of words, um, like the nyente, hard essence. What does it mean to accomplish dream yoga? I mean, when, Ultimately, when, accomplishing dream yoga means uh, seeing everything like a dream and being free from all the stories. And achieving illumination, that's what means. And uh, ultimately, that's what it means. And uh, for, for ordinary purpose, second purpose is, if everything is like a dream, there's less suffering. There's more flexibility. There's more possibility. So if you feel less suffering, more possibility in your life through the dream yoga practice, that's the secondary support. Something's working. So don't be too serious. On a short, in short answer, just don't be too serious about anything. Isn't it true? Including mm -hmm. yourself and what you, what 
don't be serious about yourself. Don't don't be too serious about what you're thinking. Don't be too serious about what you're feeling. Don't be serious about your job. Don't be serious about anything. But be aware of everything. But 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 again, the near enemy here, right? I I think this needs to be thrown into the mix because if we go too far in that direction, then we get to the dismissive nature. Oh, it's all just a dream. On on one level, that's a very healthy thing to say. But it's not so healthy, and this is a nice way to close up. It's not so healthy to say, oh, global warming is just a dream. Political uh, divisiveness, racial injustice is just a dream. So again, the pendulum can swing perhaps too much in that direction where you get the couldn't care less attitude towards things but that we do need to take seriously. Otherwise, we're dismissive. Yeah, so when you do need to take things very seriously uh, when something is serious for you, and how you define the seriousness is only you can define the seriousness. You and like you, like people like you. So that means every time, every situation, like, you know, for Tibetan, when you lose the country, is a serious for us, but not for the Chinese. So them, is, them they're happy to have it, extra land, but for us, it's serious. So if you are serious for you, it's serious for you. You take it seriously, but don't. So the idea of taking seriously it's serious for me that everybody should take serious. I don't know if it's the right statement also. Mm-hmm. It's serious for me. It's serious for us. Let's take it serious. It's a good. And it, it's saying to, to, to take it serious to everybody else. Like it's saying like a fire, a fire saying space, worry about the fire because it can burn the tree. But why space should worry about the fire because it cannot burn the space. Right. Beautiful. So, 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 you know, um, so I think um, when, when you are feeling free, you do, you're, you're more able to accommodate others' pain. You are more, you, you are able to be more serious about when others feel serious. So I think that's the beauty about that. So you, you, are, you will, you will more likely, you will not ignore other people. You will not ignore others' feeling. You, you will not ignore other people's what seriousness they're feeling, you will help them to heal them. So that's the important part. But doesn't mean it's totally serious for you. Exactly. Exactly. But if it's serious enough to know that it is serious for you, it makes me serious because only way I can feel more serious about your seriousness, I have more open to you, I have more compassion to you because I'm not identifying with my seriousness. That's why I'm open to your seriousness. That's beautiful. Otherwise, if I'm so serious about my seriousness, why I should care about your seriousness? I know you're very serious about that thing, but I don't care about it. I am not serious about it at all. Yeah. So more likely I'll be open to your seriousness if I'm not too serious about my seriousness. Beautiful. And it's really like, and this all ties to so much of what we've talked about. It it creates a much larger mandala holding environment container. Exactly. Everything you speak, it's still there. You always have to remember that. That's the place we always have to go back. No matter how serious we are, not serious we are, we have to, if we remember that, we will, we will collectively, we will handle the, any crisis much better. I, I thought recently, Rinpoche, I was, I, I'm a big student of word origins and the root of the word Dharma, you know, Sanskrit D-A-H-R means one means to hold. And I thought about it in this regard that it, the, the, the Dharma creates these holding environments where we can contain, relate to whatever experience, especially 
so-called negative ones in a completely different way. It's that you're you're changing the way you embrace reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Rinpoche, thank you so much. Any any topic that we missed? Anything else that you want? I think to uh, I think you have covered beautifully all the essential points uh, because of your long-term studying, practicing, mastering in it. And there's no better interview than this can happen. And so I think um, wonderful. Rinpoche means the world to me. And one thing I want to remind our listeners is, is English is Rinpoche's second language. This is not his native language, but he conveys in such a mastery and subtlety and nuance, we take it for granted. So Rinpoche, for your incredible contributions as an amazing teacher in the Western world, really, you, you've influenced me and taught me more than any other person in the world of dream yoga. And for the contributions in this amazing book, I can't recommend it too highly for our listeners. I, I um, it's just the best. Like I mentioned in my endorsement, if you're going to read one book on the topic, this is it. So Rinpoche, big thanks, big bow gratitude. We're so grateful for your time. Thank you. Many blessings to you too. Until next time. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. And a big thanks for Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche for taking time out of his very busy schedule to speak with us. If you enjoyed this offering, check out all the other offerings on the Edge of Mind podcast. Mm-hmm.